beautiful Sunday morning. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, Um, and as you turn there, uh, I'll remind us where we are in the book. So uh, we're in, um, uh, we've been going through a transition period. Uh, We talked about uh, as the gospel has gone forth and broken into the Gentile world. So now the gospel is being proclaimed not just to the the Jewish community, to the dispersed uh, Jewish community around the Mediterranean world, but now it's going to Jew and Greek alike. And we noted uh, uh, with chapter 11 and into chapter 12, we're going to start shifting our focus away from Jerusalem and more toward the fringes of of the church as the church spreads um, around the Mediterranean, which um, we'll see today uh, as we look at Paul's first missionary journey. Um, Last week we looked at, at the end of chapter 11, uh, the beginnings of the church in Antioch. Uh, and we talked about the characteristics of that church that we see established, um, a church that is um, uh, full of faith, it's a church that is diverse in its composition, um, and a church we saw uh, that was willing to give of itself back to the church in Jerusalem um, to supply that church's needs in the face of this coming uh, period of drought that's going to devastate Judea. Um, then we focused on Jerusalem, looking at um, the imprisonment of, of Peter, the, the killing of James, this increased hostility uh, toward Christians in Jerusalem. Um, and we saw how you know the, this powerful moment where you have this church gathered to pray, and they're praying for Peter, presumably on the eve of his execution, and lo and behold, Peter stands at the gate knocking. Um, Their prayers have been answered um, even while they are praying them, um, which is a a beautiful picture of the power of prayer and how God works. Um, And then we ended the chapter looking at the the death of Herod. Um, The chapter started off with Herod trying to assert um, power over the church Uh, and to augment his own power by persecuting the church, pleasing the Jews by doing so. And then we see um, Herod's death uh, and a very grisly death as he um, uh, takes too much on himself um, uh, as he is acclaimed by the people like a god, and God judges him for that. So um, with that, let me read for us uh, Acts chapter 13, and then I'll, I'll pray for our time together. Hear now the word of God. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island, 
as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He, uh, he was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm he led them out of it. And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying the seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not, I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, and who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, 
by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you cannot be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's ask him to open it in our hearts and minds as we discuss it this morning. Let's pray. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, triune God, we do give you all praise and glory this day. For you are our great God. You are the one who made all things from nothing. You made us in your image. And even after we had rebelled and fallen into sin, you redeemed us by sending your son who surrendered that glory that he possessed in order to take on flesh. He humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself, even dying on a cross, that we might have life through him that we might have our sins forgiven, that we might be justified, sanctified, adopted as sons and daughters to the kingdom of heaven. And we look forward to that day where we will be made perfect in your presence and we will live eternally with you, O oh God. 
Lord, we thank you for how you have worked and continue to work in your church and that we see a picture of you guiding and leading people to proclaim your good news in word and deed, even as we see Barnabas and Paul on this first journey sent out from Antioch and going to Cyprus and to uh, Pisidia, we ask that you would uh, instruct us how we should be a a gospel-proclaiming church and a gospel-sending church as we uh, support and send out missionaries to proclaim the good news to the ends of the earth by the power of your spirit. Teach us now, we pray. Instruct our wills as well as our minds. Fill our hearts with the joy of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and help us to proclaim it, we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right, so last week uh, at the end of chapter 11, um, we saw we were introduced to this church in Antioch that was begun by various unnamed refugees. Um, You know, we're told where they come from, but we're not told specifically who started this church in Antioch. And then we were told in chapter 11 that um, the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas there to minister, and then Barnabas there working in the church of Antioch uh, sent and and got Paul. And so Paul and Barnabas have been working in this church for at least a year, we're told, um, that they uh, work together in this church. Um, So we're reintroduced to this church in Antioch at the beginning of chapter 13. So um, what do you notice in just these short three verses uh, about the state of the church in Antioch at this moment um, that we are just introduced to, again, at the end of chapter 11? So barely a chapter has passed, um, and and we're, we're back in Antioch. So what strikes you about how Luke describes the Antiochian church. In what way? So thriving? Yeah, so they have, you know, it's not just Paul and Barnabas. They have um, these other leaders who are named, and it's not often we're given specific names of um, leaders of churches. Uh, You know, they're called prophets and teachers. Um, So we have Barnabas and Paul, but we also have Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod. So we've got Paul and Barnabas, but it's not just them. The church there has leadership that goes beyond um, this, uh, the apostolically appointed leadership that came from Jerusalem. Go ahead. Yeah, so as we look at these leaders, um, uh, you know, when we saw the church in Antioch, yeah, the church was going to the Jews, but then the church, uh, you know, they first proclaimed uh, the gospel in synagogues, but then, again, before Barnabas shows up, the gospel has started to be preached independently to Gentiles in Antioch. And so it's a diverse church, and that diversity is reflected in the, you know, again, the information that we're given here. Um, Presumably, Simeon, who is called Niger, is black. 
Um, Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is um, a region in North Africa, um, roughly around today's modern Libya. So, um, uh, and then we have this Menean, um, who was a member of the court of, of Herod. Um, that member of court, it can mean courtier. It also can mean, like, um, companion. Like, so, like, um, like a, a childhood friend. Um, so, someone who has, um, you know, intimate connections with a powerful man. So, presumably, Menean is from a family of some wealth and status in order for him to be a courtier of um, the court of, of Herod. So, um, so it's diverse both in terms of the background of the, the leaders uh, listed here as well as being diverse um, socially. So, you know, it's, as you say, it's a church consisting of Jews and Gentiles, um, the lowborn and the highborn, um, people from around the world are part of this church in Antioch. Matthew, you got this. <laughs> yeah, so it is a, uh, a, a thriving church that is, uh, you know, that has strong leadership. Um, it is a church of some diversity um, of composition. Good. What else? What do we learn in just these three short verses about this church in Antioch? Yeah, that it's here's a church that is, you know, it, they're doing the things that you know a church does. They gather to worship, and we're told that um, they are gathering to fast. Um, they pray. So you know, here's a church devoted to the things that a local community does. But they're also a church that is willing to send out um, to send out under the the, the, the command of the Spirit to send people out from their midst. I mean, you know, Barnabas and Saul, um, again, this is not a knock on Simeon, Lucius, or Menean, but I'm willing to guess that Barnabas and Saul are their two most talented teachers <laughs> in, in this congregation, and yet they're willing to send them out. You know, they're commanded by the Spirit to send these two men out, and they fast, and they pray, and they lay hands on them and formally commission them to go out and do this mission of the Holy Spirit. And I love how the, the call from the Holy Spirit to send them out is, is so unspecific. <laughs> uh, set them apart for the work to which I've called them. Like, you know, it's not like, like you know, sometimes like we send people out, you know, like you can go and then you know, you'll come back. Like, you know, they're willing to send them, not even knowing exactly where these, where God is going to lead them, where the Spirit is going to take them. Um, but they're willing to send. And, um, and that's, you know, I, I think that's a key aspect of this church still. As you noted, like, God loves churches that look beyond their own needs. And that, we saw that the last time we looked at this church in Antioch, they were willing to send 
money and funds with Barnabas and Saul to support the church in Jerusalem, and now they're willing to send people. You know, so they are literally giving of themselves to support the work of God's church, not just in their area, but wherever God will send his gospel. Good. Anything else we want to say? So it's a thriving church. It's a diverse church. It's a sending church. Yeah, while they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. So, um, uh, you know, they have prophets and teachers, and I, I like how uh, Luke doesn't distinguish, like, which ones are prophets, which ones are teachers. He kind of... Yeah, um, and again, like, think of prophecy as more spontaneous, spirit-inspired um, speech whereas teaching is more, you know, conveying the apostolic, um, you know, a prepared dispersal of the apostolic teaching. Yeah, but the, the key part of the message, like, yeah, the details aren't important. The key part is that the Spirit of God moved this church to send these people out. You know, that, and that this is a church that is thriving, but it's not self-centered. Um, you know, that there are, uh, you know, my, um, my missions professor, Dr. Long, um, used to say that a church should, all, a healthy church always has two dimensions. Like it's internally, you know, it's building the vertical relationship between that community and God. Um, but then it's also doing the horizontal work of sending the gospel out. And, you know, in good Dr. Long fashion, you'll, you'll notice my little gestures there at the cross. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, so, um, so, and he called it the, oh, what did he call it? The modality and sodality of the church. Uh, you, know, um, you know, like the, the internal and external, and every healthy church should have both of those components working together, and we really see that in, in Antioch.
a good example. All right, so let's, so, you know, uh, just to emphasize, like, in these three verses, like, what a great picture of, of, of what a church should look like. All right, so let's get to uh, Barnabas and Saul. So they're sent out by the Holy Spirit. Um, so they go from Antioch, which, again, is kind of a, you know, upriver a little bit. They go down to the port uh, of Cilicia, and from there they sail to Cyprus, uh, which um, times like this I wish I had a big map or something. But um, if, uh, all right, I've got to do this y'all's direction. All right, so Turkey. Um, so imagine this is, is Turkey, and Turkey makes that little elbow um, into the Mediterranean. So Antioch is right in the crook of that, that elbow. Um, that sits between Syria and Turkey. Um, if they go pretty much uh, almost due west sailing, they hit the Isle of Cyprus. So Cyprus sits right underneath that crook of the arm of Turkey. Um, and then while I'm doing this, to save myself from doing this again, um, after they, so they basically traverse the length of Cyprus, so they land on Salamis, which is on the eastern side, and then they, they traverse the entirety of Cyprus um, uh, and, and go to Paphos, which is on the western side. And then from Paphos, they sail almost due north back to Turkey, go almost to the middle of Turkey where Pisidia Antioch is. So, so they're going... Um, kind of straight east, um, all the way across Cyprus, and then almost straight north, going deep into the interior of, of Turkey. Um, so let's start with Cyprus, which, if you remember, is Barnabas's, where Barnabas is from. Um, so for him, he's going home, um, uh, but now accompanied by Paul. Um, so, um, yeah, what do you learn from their first... Um, missionary work on the island of Cyprus, and particularly Luke tells us about their showdown with a Jewish magician. They start with the Jews, um, and that's going to be uh, their method pretty much uniformly until they get to places where there are no Jews. Um, but yeah, um, uh, great. So yeah, when they arrive, they proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And when they get to Pisidian Antioch, we'll see some of the content of how they go about proclaiming the good news in synagogues. But here, you know, emphasizing they're speaking to Jews first, but they're not speaking exclusively to Jews, as we see with their encounter with this Roman Sergius Paulus, um, the proconsul um, who is um, over this province Cyprus. Um, but yeah, so their mission starts with the Jews, starts with going to synagogues where Jewish believers are gathered together for worship and study of the word, and they use that as a opportunity to proclaim the good news, the fulfillment of those covenant promises which God made to Israel. Good. What else strikes you about their ministry? Um, that is, no, is it? Because it's not, I don't think. Is it? It's not, yeah, it's a different job. 
Is he the one right row? Uh, I didn't look because I wasn't. He's a minor player there. Land is nodding at me. Uh, same mark. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll come back to this later in Acts. Um, we'll see, like, Luke will give us a little more. Um, Paul's frustrated that Mark left him. Um, so we'll see a little conflict that resulted later. Um, but yeah, but he's, he names drop to show that he's, he's with them and then he leaves them. But he doesn't focus on that at this point. Elamoth. So, yeah, so... So what, look at all the things we're told about him. He's Jewish, which um, he's a magician. Uh, Luke goes so far as to call him a false prophet. Um, so he's a Jewish, magician, false prophet, and he's opposing um, Barnabas and Paul's preaching to Sergius Paulus. So we're also told he is, he's with the proconsul, so is he? Uh, you know, it's not exactly clear. Courts usually did have a um, a uh, magician or astrologer, at, at least assigned to a court, to give them divine guidance. Um, you know, so through various forms of you know, magical rituals, incantations, uh, to tr try to divine the future for the proconsul. So he's he's doing those kinds of things. Um, for Sergius Paulus, um, uh, and um, but he's not supposed to, <laughs> from a Jewish perspective. So he's a Jew, but he's not a very faithful Jew because magic is forbidden to him. So um, by doing these kinds of magical profit practices, um, he is you know doing the work of the devil rather than doing the work of God. So, but yeah, he, he's, and he's the opponent. Like, and notice, like, they are going to speak to Sergius Paulus, who, who Luke goes so far as to call a man of intelligence, uh, who summons Barnabas and Saul. He's seeking to hear the word of God, and yet this magician is, is, is opposing them, um, trying to prevent them from speaking to, to them. He's trying to steer the, pro I, I love the language here. Um, he's seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So they're seeking to turn the proconsul, you know, and turn always has that, that uh, idea of repentance. They're trying to get, uh, you know, the proconsul to turn toward the, the message of Christianity, and he's trying to get him to repent of Christianity, uh, to turn him away from it. Yeah, that, yeah, I mean, it's that kind of idea. Like, you know, he's the magical whisperer who uh, is used to giving guidance to Sergius Paulus to give influence to, you know, you know Sir, again, if he's an astrologer, 
Sergius Paulus before major decisions is going to consult with him and sort of say, what do the stars say? Is this a favorable moment to do what I'm doing? Um, if, you, if you've ever read Herodotus's um, histories, um, Herodotus emphasizes the role of oracles in the decision-making of, of, of Greek. Uh, he's looking at Greece, but in Greek rulers, but the same is true of Romans as well. Like, you know, before they act, well, you know, are the gods going to favor me or not? And so, um, so this, um, you know, Elamos is, has that position of having the ear of the council. Um, and, and now he's looking to these other two men for guidance. And so, yeah, presumably he doesn't like it. <laughs> um, and he's trying to turn, you know, get the, the ear of the council back to him. So, yeah, that is a good kind of visualization of that process. Yeah, and, and the, the, there are all these kinds of verbal connections uh, to, to bring, as you say, to bring out these ironies. Like, when's the last time we saw someone being led by the hand in this book? It was Paul, or, or Saul, um, you know, at that moment. Um, that he, he's, he's blinded um, and has to be led by the hand. And as you say, here you have the opponent of him who's being blinded and now is helpless has to find people to lead him by the hand. Um, this, uh, part of the other irony is, you know, this Jewish man who they've been proclaiming the gospel to Jews first in this mission, he's the one who's actively opposing them, whereas this, this, this Gentile pro-council, um, when he saw what had occurred, um, he believed. And he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So you have a Gentile pro-council who responds to the gospel favorably. And you have this Jewish false prophet, um, the son of the devil, um, who uh, receives this um, condemnation or punishment um, for trying to make the, the straight way crooked. <laughs> The gospel, you know, makes the crooked ways straight, and, and he's trying to undo, like, do that work of the gospel, um, uh, and and receives this judgment for it. Um, but notice there's also a little mercy. Um, you know, you'll be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. 
So even though it's clearly punishment and it's meant to um, to to bring his um, magical influence on the proconsul to an end, it's meant to end his opposition to the gospel. Um, it's not an ultimate punishment. Like he's blind for a time, so there's even hope for him, um, uh, which is. Which is an amazing part of God's grace for this particular moment. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and notice how the the result of that, like the proconsul, um, when the proconsul the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So it's both he's astonished by what Barnabas and Paul have to say, but you know, the work that they do as well. So, you know, once again, the way Luke um, combines works and words. Like the miracles are there and they're important to authenticate the words, but it's necessary to have the words there too to to make people believe. Um, all right, so uh, so after they traverse the length of, of Cyprus, um, then they turn um, from Paphos, which is, again, a port on the southwestern side of Cyprus, um, and they pretty much go um, uh, due north um, and make their way from Perga uh, um, to Antioch in Pisidia. And sorry for all the Antioch um, uh, oh, what's his name? Hold on, I, I wrote it down because uh, I was interested. Why are every why is everything named Antioch? Um, so there was a man by the name of Seleucus Nicator, a Roman, um, who went around and he named every city he founded after his father. <laughs> so there are actually sixteen Antiochs in the Mediterranean world that Seleucus Nicator founded. Um, so, um, wow, <laughs> what a tribute to his dad. Um, so we, we, we go to this other Antioch um, in the middle of, yeah, roughly in the middle of today's Turkey. Um, and once again, um, we see them uh, go to the synagogue, um, but now Luke pauses to, to give us a sense of what they say when they go to the synagogue. So this is the first time we're given, um, you know, Paul's words at length. Seen Peter speak at length. We've seen Stephen speak at length. This is the first time we see a major speech by Paul. And notice this, this is it's in our passage where the switch was made from Saul to Paul. Um, Paul would be the Roman form of Saul. So as he moves into more into the Gentile world, um, he, he's known um, or referred to as Paul henceforth. Um, so it's more about his moving into the Gentile world that he goes by the Gentile form of his, or the Roman form of his name, uh, Paul or Paulus. Um, so what strikes you about his address to the synagogue in Pisidia and Antioch? Um, what would you say about Paul's sermon?
Yeah, so it starts with redemptive history and then places the work of Jesus in that storyline. Yeah, as a fulfillment of the covenant promises that God's made to his people, and those promises have been fulfilled in the appearing of Jesus. So just like we've seen with other sermons, um, he starts with Jewish redemptive history, the history of God's relationship, God's special relationship with the people of Israel, God's covenant relationship to them. That this is, and, and notice how he starts, um, you know, he, he starts with this kind of um, plural first person. Like, this is us, our story, our God. Like, you know, he's not, not, he doesn't get to the you until he gets to the call to faith and repentance. Like, you need to uh, repent and you will receive forgiveness of sins. But he begins with, this is our story, um, this redemptive history of what God has been doing with this people from Abraham forward. So like other sermons, uh, there's a history lesson that starts off. Good. What else would you say about this piece? Yeah, he, you know, and again, with, with every one of these um, tellings of history, there are different emphases, like, you know, that's how what's distinct about them. They're all retelling Israel's past, but they're emphasizing different aspects of it. And so um, for this one, you know, he gets up to, to David, and then from David, he jumps from David to John. <laughs> um, you know, he gets, goes to the very recent past. David is the way he's connecting, or the, the work in God's promises to David is how he's connecting the work of Jesus um, to this Old Testament history lesson. Um, and yeah, so there's a big leap forward to John. And notice when he gets to John, he emphasizes you know, that John isn't the focus of the, the mission. John's work is preparatory. You know? um, before his coming, John proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. But you know, he, then he gives John's about himself, that he, John wasn't worthy to untie the sandals of, who's, you know, of the one who's following him. So, you know, emphasizing that John came to point to the appearance of the Savior. Because um, there's a, the Jews had been dispersed, you know, um, throughout the kind of previous yeah, ever since the um, exile, Jewish, the Jews have been dispersed throughout the Mediterranean world. Um, there's uh, Josephus, Josephus um, actually describes there's a community of about 2,000 Jews um, in in um, Pisidian Antioch. So it's a pretty strong Jewish community. There's a pretty strong Jewish community in Cyprus as well. Um, and we saw, you know, on that day of Pentecost, you know, Jews from, who had come from around the Mediterranean world had come to, to worship in Jerusalem on the day of, of Pentecost. So, yeah, there's a, a strong Jewish presence, um, you know, throughout the Mediterranean world. Um, you know, some of it because of, you know, dispersal, because of 
um, prior persecutions. Some of it is um, as people pursue their callings in merchant communities. So, you know, um, you create these kind of merchant networks by, you know, having family members, right, to, you know, to kind of create these strong connections between communities. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, we're in the middle of Turkey and there's 2,000 Jews um, in this town, um, which is pretty amazing. Um, you know, and again, that how the work of persecution often ends up dispersing um, people and creating these kind of strong communities in other places. And, you know, it's not just the Jews here. Um, you know, uh, Luke uh, makes, or Paul makes clear in his speech, you know, multiple times. Men of Israel and you who fear God. Remember, God fear is that name for Gentiles who are interested in the God of Israel and so gathered in fear about the God of Israel, um, but might not be um, circumcised yet. So, so he's there proclaiming in the synagogue to Jews and to God-fearing Gentiles that are there as well. What else do you notice about, or what strikes you about this sermon? So the emphasis on redemptive history, um, the way he describes his, his, his audience. Um, yeah, well, I mean, he, he does spend some time sort of making the point that, you know, again, the emphasis on the resurrection of the dead um, that the fact that he was raised, and yeah, we saw him, but then he also connects it to those Old Testament prophecies, right? You know, so these declarations made to David, you know, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Well, where's David? He's dead. <laughs> He's buried. His body sees corruption. You know, we know where his tomb is, like you know, uh, as Peter like uh, said earlier. You know, so who are these words about then? Well, they're about this one who saw no corruption. You know, you know this one um, who God raised up. And again, the way that Luke is using language here, notice he says, he had said of David, and then God raised up David um, as king. And then God's going to raise up that um, descendant of David. Yeah, that he is the fulfillment of prophecy. Um, and it's by his appearance that forgiveness of sins um, uh, comes. Um, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which he could not be freed by the law of Moses. And the word there for freed uh, could also be justified. Um, you know, and it's, it's probably, yeah, it might be better to say everyone who believes is justified from everything from which you cannot be justified by the law of Moses. So the law of Moses um, could, could, could justify no one. It's only by faith in Jesus Christ that justification comes, that freedom comes. You know, this law um, could never bring righteousness to sinful people. It establishes the standard of righteousness but it made 
no one in of themselves righteous because everyone fell short of it. And, and Jesus comes and he fulfills that law by, um, by him being the perfectly righteous one and by gifting that righteousness to us, justifying us by faith in Yeah, and that you know he's quoting, um, he's quoting prophecy there. You know he's he's going to. Um, uh, I wrote my note down, but my eyes are so bad I can't see it. It's Habakkuk, so he's going to Habakkuk, and he's quoting this passage, and he's saying, like again, look, all the prophets, um, and and that had been a theme of Peter's uh, in one of his earlier preaches. All the prophets look forward to this moment. You know, these are the days the prophets were prophesying about. Um, this is the time. Um, you know, these are the moments that God is doing a work so amazing, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. And their response is, come back next week. <laughs> yeah, they, they bought into the cliffhanger, <laughs> you know. Come back next week and tell us more about this. And when they come back the following week, it's not just the synagogue, but the whole city has gathered. Like so, you know, again, how's the whole city, you know, come to know about this? Because everybody who was at that synagogue went and told everybody else, you know, what had been said. And so word has spread, and now the whole city has gathered to hear what these two men have to proclaim about the work of the Lord, the amazing things that are going on in their midst. Um, we're almost at our end, but other things that speak. So, you know, it starts with Old Testament history, but then it uses that Old Testament history lesson to establish Jesus as the fulfillment of the covenant promises that God made to Israel, the fulfillment of all prophecy. This is the moment that God had spoken about, that he would do amazing things in their midst. Um, and note how he has a very explicit, um, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, verse 38, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So he gives... You know, the good news, there's the proclamation. This, you know, and, and there's where the pronoun shifts. He has been talking about us, our history, our king, our prophet. And now he, he, he proclaims to you. And this is where he's made the distinction between himself and his hearers. He shares that history with them as a Jew. But as a Christian, they have work left to do. And their work is to believe. Um, and by believing, they'll be freed. They'll be forgiven. Um, they'll be justified. 
Um, but if not, notice it comes with the warning, beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about, that they would end up as scoffers rather than believers. Um, all right, well, next week we can talk some about the, the end part and their reaction, because um, I do want to spend a little time on, um, on this synagogue's re ultimate rejection of them um, and their opposition to their ministry that then leads Paul and Barnabas to the next stage. Um, so, like, so far they've been intentionally going places, um, you know, to Cyprus and now to Pisidian, Antioch, places where they know there are these strong Jewish communities. Um, now they're getting kicked out. <laughs> um, and so uh, their, their wanderings um, become... Um, partly the result of getting expelled from one place. Uh, so it's both intentional direction and then some yeah, unintentional prodding by, uh, as they're rejected. So let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the work, uh, mighty work, um, that you've done uh, through your church, um, through the work of faithful men like Barnabas and Paul. And we thank you for their willingness to speak truth to power, um, to speak truth before uh, leaders, um, even leaders who are being counseled to oppose the faith, that they're willing to go um, to far off places um, to proclaim your good news. Help us to be that kind of church that seeks to proclaim you even in the midst of um, audiences that don't want to hear to be a church that sends your gospel out to the ends of the earth and participates in your work and your mission. Help us um, to uphold the, the message that Paul presents, um, a message that uh, unifies all of the scriptures into pointing to our Savior, Jesus Christ, that um, those words of the prophet point to the work of your son. And that is good news for us because in him we are freed from the law and we find forgiveness in Jesus Christ and that it's through him that we are made holy and that by his holiness we can stand in your holy, holy, holy presence without fear, without trembling because you've taken away our sin and clothed us in the righteousness of Christ. Fill us with joy at that good news, even as we come and worship you in the following hour. And we ask these things in Christ's name, by the power of your spirit. Amen.